0: Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. It may not be the timing that we want. It might not be the way that we want. We need to learn how to trust the Lord, even when we don't understand what He's doing in our lives. Even when we look at what's going on in our lives and we think, well, if I was God, I would do it this way. And then you hear heaven saying, well, you're not God, you know. (laughs) Trust me. Yeah, but I need to see more. No, you trust me. No, but I need to see more. And what happens? You end up seeing less. Saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? That's what the Bible says.
1: This is amazing grace. been many notable rebellions in world history, some righteous and some far from it. But no rebel pays so great a price as the one that chooses to go against God and his people. As our study of 2 Samuel nears its conclusion here on Abounding Grace, we find Sheba leading a great rebellion against David, and he sought to bring a division among God's people. Though this was no doubt disheartening for David. He was faithful to God's call and persevered through this trial. Today, we join Pastor Ed Taylor in 2 Samuel 20 and learn not only the terrible price to be paid for those that choose to rebel as Sheba did, but also how to respond when jealousy, selfishness, and pride drives
0: your attackers. And this is what Charles Spurgeon said to a group of young men that were going into the ministry. It's in a book that's entitled Lectures to My Students. And he had a lecture there. And this might also be in in the public domain. You can search for it. But the lecture is called A Blind Eye and a Deaf Ear. And he was teaching men that were going into the ministry. And I think by way of application, all of us as men and women of God that are in a church that want to serve the Lord, that want to make a difference, it's very important for us to learn to have a blind eye and a deaf ear to certain things. That's just another way of saying what I've shared with you many years, to learn how to have a thick skin while you maintain a soft heart, to not, every, not let everything affect you, not let everything take you down, and learn just, hey, man, I'm going to have a blind eye to that in order to be effective, and I'm going to have a deaf ear to that in order to be effective. And here's what he says, and I quote, Avoid with your whole soul the spirit of suspicion which sours some men's lives, and to all things from which you might harshly draw an unkind reference, inference turn a blind eye and a deaf ear suspicion makes a man a torment to himself and a spy toward others once begins to once begins to suspect and causes for distrust will multiply around you and your very suspiciousness will create the major part of them Many a friend has been transformed into an enemy by being suspected. Do not therefore look about you with the eyes of mistrust, nor listen as an eavesdropper with the quick ear of fear. To go about the congregation ferreting out disaffection like a gamekeeper after rabbits is a mean employment and is generally rewarded most sorrowfully. That's what's happening with Amasa here. Because of his delay, people are suspicious of him. And you, you, you might be saying, Ed, how did you get that out of that verse? Well, I got it out of this verse and some of the other ones we're about to read. It's the context. So let's move on to verse 7. So Joab's men with the Cherithites, the Pelethites, and all the mighty men went out after him and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bitri. And when they were at large stone, which is now in Gibeon, Amasa came before them. So he shows up. And Joab was dressed in battle armor On it was a belt with a sword fashioned in its sheath at his hips, and he was going forward, it fell out. And then Joab said to Amasa, Are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not notice that the sword that was in Joab's hand, and he struck him with it in the stomach, and his entrails poured out on the ground. And he did not strike him again, thus he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bitri. Joab, not only did he not like being replaced, I believe Joab's making a decision not just of revenge here, but of suspicion. And when Amasa finally does show up, he takes the advantage, takes the opportunity to go, I'm going to save David any of the grief. This guy's not for us. And he pulls a little trick on him and pretends to be affectionate to him, you know, kind of greeting him as men in his army. And he kills him and he leaves him laying there in a pool of blood to take off after Sheba. In verse 11, it says, Meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. But Amasa wallowed in his blood in the middle of the highway, and when the man saw that the people stood still, he moved Amasa from the highway to the field and threw a garment over him when he saw that everyone who came upon him halted. And when he was removed from the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bitri. Amasa, the general, they don't know what's going on in Joab's heart or anything. This is a very practical thing. Amasa's dead. He's wallowing, and it's very obvious on the road, and everybody passing by doesn't want to go to war anymore because their general's dead, and they're not going forward. So somebody wised up and moved him off and said, if you're for Joab and David, then you need to follow him right now. But they wouldn't move with with this body here. And somebody removes him, verse 13, from the highway, and they take off to fight. And he went, verse 14, through all the tribes of Israel to Abel and Beth Ma'aka and all the Barites. And so they gathered together and also went after Sheba. Then they came and besieged him in Abel and Beth Ma'aka, and they cast up a siege mound against the city, and it stood by the rampart. And all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. So Sheba gets to the city of Abel, and then there's a battle that takes place. The men of Joab surround the city begin to destroy the city's walls, enter in to destroy Sheba and his troops. And even though this is warfare in its raw form, it becomes a type and a picture of the ongoing battles in our own lives. I mean, this is real war. Um, And unfortunately for some of you, you've seen real war with your own eyes. So many of us haven't. Uh, But we're grateful for you standing in the gap for us and for our freedoms here and some of the things you've had to see and experience. That's what this is. This is just real war. It's raw It's kingdom against kingdom, and this insurgent that has many people following him is being dealt with by the army. But it becomes a picture in our lives. You're in a real battle. When you and I are in the flesh, when you and I are not walking in the spirit, we're we're acting in a way of usurping the kingdom of God in our lives. We're acting in a way where we are not for God, we're against God. And that's never a wise choice to make on our behalf. We're never going to be successful. We're always going to be butting our heads up against the wall, and we're going to be finding ourselves erecting these walls, trying to fortify our own little kingdoms and trying to fortify. But the people of God, you know, the Lord will come, and he will try to knock down the walls. There's a battle going on here. There's a battle between the insurgents with, um, with... with Sheba and the people that decided to follow him and now we have Joab leading the army and on behalf of David in the kingdom and oftentimes when we think of war we think of the two battles but listen we're learning something here and that is innocent people are being hurt over this innocent people are caught in the middle these are innocent people in this city they woke up in the morning to eat food and have breakfast and the kids to play in the streets they woke up in the morning to clean their clothing and to go to work and make things and they, they woke up in the morning only to find that somebody that doesn't care anything about them has penetrated the walls of their city and brought upon them the consequences of their own decisions and as we look at that in our own lives how careful we need to be that we re, that how careful we need to be to remember the innocent people the innocent people that we might get caught up in our own battles Instead of seeking the Lord and taking people to the Lord. Let me show you something before we finish the chapter in the few minutes we have remaining. Turn back to Second Peter, would you? Chapter 3, verse 8. Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 8. Sheba runs to the city of Abel. He goes into the city and he brings the warfare into the city of a people that didn't ask for it and didn't want it. And now they're caught in the middle. And just like the enemy, they come, they come in and, and disrupt. Well, really, not even disrupt isn't even the right word. The, Sheba becomes a picture and a type of the devil coming into a fortified city, finding one little area coming in. And he doesn't just disrupt the city. He brings division in the city. And, and he brings a, a picture of division when it comes to their allegiance and their loyalty. Notice with me in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 8 there. And let me get there with you. Because we want to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in our lives. We want to be careful with this. Notice with me verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8 So notice now verse 8 chapter 3 Finally all of you be of one mind having compassion for one another love as brothers be tender hearted be courteous not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary blessing knowing that you are called to this that you may inherit a blessing One of Satan's most used and worn-out tools is disunity among the brothers, among the sisters. And we need to watch out for division. In Romans chapter 16, verse 17, it says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learn, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of simple... And so the devil will throw all his weight into disrupting unity among the brethren within the family of God. Why? Because Psalm 133 verse 1 says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There's such a sweetness of being in unity. Not just in agreement. Not just when you agree with somebody. That's not necessarily unity. The Bible is speaking of a unity in the Spirit. Where we are loving one another, compassionate toward another, uh, cutting each other slack, encouraging one another, strengthening one another. And it's neat. If you're taking notes, consider some of the things that he tells us to do when it comes to maintaining unity. Number one, be compassionate. Have a compassionate heart. The idea uh, behind the word compassion is sincerity or sincere feelings. Care for people. Care for people. I've asked this question multiple times in the last couple weeks when it comes to some interviews that I've been doing, and I ask, "What's a pastor's heart to you?" I just ask, "What's a pastor's heart to you?" And what I'm looking for is a person that cares, that cares about the Lord, cares about people. And with that definition, we can all have a pastor's heart. But if you don't care, you don't have compassion on people. You don't cut them a break. You don't give them some slack. Not only that, but we're to respond with brotherly love. That's something that is not agape love. Agape love is, is almost the impossible love through us. Brotherly love is a choice on your part. Brotherly love. You can choose to love someone and care for them, you can just choose to be a brother to them and a sister to them. It's brotherly love. Not only that, but he says tenderhearted. Tenderhearted. Just sense in the leading of the Spirit to look out for others. To be sensitive to them, to meet their needs. Courteous. How do you avoid disunity? Compassion, brotherly love, tender hearts, and courteous, just being courteous. Another way of thinking of being courteous is humility, putting others ahead of ourselves, thinking of others more highly than ourselves. We're a family here. Of all the ways that God describes the, the church, the one that's most dearest to our hearts is the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. That no matter what our age, what our background, what language we speak, what the color of our skin is, where we live, who we are, where we, what our past was, in Jesus Christ, we become a part of a family. We're adopted in the family of God. And for some people, the family of God is closer than their own blood family. You've been adopted into a new, you got a whole, maybe you grew up as a sing, as a, as a, uh, you grew up as an only child. Well, in the family of God, no more you're not getting all the attention anymore. We all get to lavish love on one another and compassion and tenderness. And, and if you grew up in a large family, then you totally understand some of the things that I share. Because you have all your siblings and all the friction and all the craziness and all the drama. And what got you through it? Love. And for some of you, you didn't get through it until you got saved. And you began to look back and go, man, I just want to love them because I want them saved. I mean, that's the body. We're a family. The church is a family. But the family's under under siege so often. Maybe a large part of the family, maybe a small part of the family. But listen, some of you don't even have family outside of the body of Christ. But this is the one that God adopted you into. And the bonds of the church family are often greater than our blood relations. That's why it hurts when there's disunity. That's why... Uh, flesh-inspired heartlessness is among us. That's why the heart of Jesus is seen through love, compassion, tenderness, and courtesy. And and, and this is true for any church. Like, this isn't—this is true for every church. It doesn't matter where you fellowship. It doesn't matter what your family, whether your church is 10,000 or 10. This is the truth of God's Word. This is—this is the way it is. There's always going to be attempts to divide you from one another, but ultimately divide you from your God, from your God. And some may say, but wait a minute, Ed, I've been wronged. I've been hurt. I received the short end of the stick. They gossiped about me. They lied. She really hurt me. Did it on purpose. And verse 9 says, don't return evil for evil. That's what it says. You've been reviled. That word means to be spoken of, because like Shimei, we saw last week, Shimei, the cuss, the, you know, the guy with the foul mouth and the rocks in his hands throwing them at David, don't revile for revile. You, you don't do it. But on the contrary, bless them, knowing that you were called to this and that you'll inherit a blessing. Someone hurt you, someone returning evil for evil or the temptation, Jesus' ways that we don't do that. He wants us to look to him and be the strength in him. The Bible says that love is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered thus keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And so Peter says, on the contrary, blessing. On the contrary, blessing. Knowing in verse 9 that you were called to this. This is God's calling in your life. So check this out. Let's close up in 2 Samuel. Come back there with me. The cities under seas... Abel is—the city of Abel is brought into a fight that wasn't theirs. They're going to lose everything. Joab is a madman. He's going to prove to David that Amasa was the wrong decision. I mean, he's got a lot of stuff going on in him. But notice this in verse 16. Then a wise woman called out from the city. And let me just say, I thank God for wise women and wise men that cry out from the city that speak up when no one else speaks up, when tell, when they tell the truth, when no one else wants to tell the truth. Just be that wise woman and that wise man. She, she put her life on the line right here. She reminds me of, of Rahab taking a chance. She reminds me of every godly man and godly woman that would stand up for what is right, what is true, what is noble, no matter what the cost is. This wise woman. Mark it. Say, you might even put a little note in your Bible. Make me this wise woman. If you're a man, you can write man. <laughs> Give me this wisdom. Hear, hear. Please say to Joab, come nearby that I may speak with you. And when he had come near to her, the woman said, Are you Joab? And he answered, I am. Then she said to him, Hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I'm listening. Then she spoke saying, "They used to talk in former times saying, "They shall surely ask counsel at Abel, and so they would, in disputes, I'm among the peaceable and the faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord?" And Joab answered and said, "Far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy." That is not so. But a man of the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bitri, by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I'll depart from the city. And the woman said to Joab, Watch, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. That's a crazy lady right there, man. She's, she's wise. I don't want to be messing with her. <laughs> Then the woman, in her wisdom, went to all the people, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bitri, and threw it out to Joab. Then he blew a trumpet, and they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem, and Joab was over all the army of Israel. Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. Adoram was in charge of revenue. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahiluid, was the recorder. Shiva the scribe. Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. And Ira, the Jairite, was a chief minister under David. So the city is about to be destroyed. Innocent people are about to die. And the cry of a wise woman comes out. And praise the Lord for the voices of rise, brave men and women. Praise the Lord for that. She speaks up for the innocent, intercedes on their behalf. I think of every man, woman, and child that stands in the gap for a baby in the womb, who has no voice. Every brave, courageous, there aren't many, but there need to be more. I think of all those that are patrolling the city tonight, standing up for those that have no voice and maybe even standing up for a few, that their voices are against them, running to danger, not away from danger, standing in the gap, wise men and women. I think of those that would stand in the gap when they see division and disunity and say, I won't have this in the church of God. I won't accept it. Where they see a home, a family, Praise God for the men and women when they see a home, a family on their block, or maybe they've connected with someone in their church family, and they see it about to be destroyed, and they stand in the gap to rescue and to save as many innocent men and women as they possibly can. To save a marriage from divorce. To to save a marriage from adultery. To save a kid from some harm or some hurt. Listen, there is so much opportunity, friends, for you and I to be the wise men and women of this world. To stand in the gap and to be the salt and the light in a world that refuses to accept the truth of God. That's his call upon our lives. His call upon our lives is to be the men and women that reflect the salt and the light of Jesus Christ. Joab, he's acting reasonable here. It's kind of an interesting study, Joab, because there's times when he's unreasonable and just unpredictable in times when he is. He's reasonable here. Okay. You guys are a prominent city. Thank you for reminding me. Fill with innocent people. Just give me his head. And that's enough for me. And it ends. Sheba's rebellion, like Absalom's rebellion, ended quickly. Suddenly. Why? Well, because God's will always prevails. It may not be the timing that we want. It might not be the way that we want. We need to learn how to trust the Lord, even when we don't understand what he's doing in our lives. Even when we look at what's going on in our lives, and we think, well, if I was God, I would do it this way. And then you hear heaven saying, well, you're not God, you know. (laughs) Trust me. Yeah, but I need to see more. No, you trust me. No, but I need to see more. And what happens? You end up seeing less, saying, well, you trust me. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? That's what the Bible says. This is how you should pray, Jesus told us. Father, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. You give us our food day by day and forgive us of our sins, just as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Remember, everything in life, God allows, he permits, or he sins in order that his name might be honored, that his will might be done, that his kingdom might be established. And so be that wise woman and that wise man in your life. Trust God even when you don't understand what's happening. Thanks
1: for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're airing a series based in 2 Samuel. And I'd imagine this is just what many of you are needing to hear right about now. If you'd like to request today's study on CD for $2, please call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. You can also access the studies online at CalvaryAurora.org. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is through the Calvary Aurora app. Search for Calvary Aurora. And as you do, you might also download the Grace FM Colorado app for more biblical encouragement. Thanks for your generous gifts to support Abounding Grace. Your donation will serve to help us bring these daily studies to your station and many others like it every day. Call us at 877-30-GRACE or donate online at calvaryaurora.org. And when you support this ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'd like to send you The Holy Land Key by Ray Bentley. Pastor Ray has partnered with God's people in Israel and witnessed the fulfillment of prophecy firsthand. And you might say this book highlights the amazing work God is doing even right now to usher in the coming kingdom Again, call 877 30 Grace or turn to CalvaryAurora.org on the web. Glad you've taken time out for our study. We'll bring you more from Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 2 Samuel next time on Abounding Grace. This is
0: amazing grace.